uh, uh, was never able uh, uh, to um, uh, be interpolated um, uh, directly in terms of his participation. But nonetheless, we had the opportunity to review a little bit of the language that he used in the process of um, making official the cleansing of certain types of people in Argentina during the uh, dictatorship. And, and it was not surprising to learn that he used a very uh, interesting uh, trash-related language to refer particularly to Marxist sympathizers and communists and so forth and so on. Um, so um, uh, it is no surprise from a perspective of salvaging um, uh, an inquiry that approaches to transitional justice rely on remnants and on bringing back to life and back into social memory the material and symbolic residue uh, uh, left behind on the heels of violence. Our principal tendency has been, as many of you have echoed, to frame and perceive these processes of recovery temporarily uh, from legal, forensic, archaeological, and ethnographic viewpoints, mostly for the assembly, assembly finally of legalized uh, uh, narratives collecting pieces, bones, testimonies, images, and any other traces deemed valuable in the pursuit of truth and perhaps also restitution. In addition, the buildup of empirical data might aid um, uh, the ability to formulate endorsed uh, action, um, uh, but, but in all part of the diagnostic and prescriptive discourse derived still emphasizes in the majority this inclination. And so literature has contributed to this corpus in a parallel but also divergent uh, way having no precise role to play in legal terms and little to add when legitimating the demands truth claims posed on the public search for justice. With some uh, notable exceptions, and uh, you may recall the call for papers had a couple of references to, um, uh, to uh, Ernesto Sabato, the first one in, in connection to the, uh, 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 the trap of, of the two devils or the contradiction that, that he set up in the prologue uh, to the to the uh, to the commission uh, report, uh, but also he was mentioned uh, because he was a writer, and, and as a writer he did not really embody literature, but he was legitimated to be a spokesperson from the literary uh, uh, universe, and so that uh, already in many ways sort of qualified him. Uh, as someone that had the epistemological ability to mediate truth in some um, uh, uh, symbolic uh, way. It might seem odd or perhaps even futile uh, 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 to try to couple the meanings of waste with truth commission and reconciliation work, but seen from a more plural perspective of transitional justice mechanisms and its expanding reach, the literary acquires salience as more situations of human subjectivity are put to the transitional justice test. And so I just want to take a very brief detour and go through some examples that I think most of us are, are, are pretty familiar with. Uh, the case of Rigoberta Michu, which I, I would argue is one of the most salient literary, political, and epistemological incursions into this connection between literature and testimony that had uh, or was given at the time uh, uh, kind of a, 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 a testimonial value that went beyond the literary and became actually a, a site of, of tremendous polemical uh, struggle to the point that at least in the US and, and in many other parts, 
of, 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 of uh, institutional life, uh, testimony uh, became almost an epistemological industry, uh, resulting in all kinds of PhDs, theses, uh, departments being formed, and also uh, political aspirations being formulated. And so the subaltern studies, Latin American subalterns group, and, and many other post-colonial sort of studies initiatives kind of embraced this moment as transformative in a political sense. Of course, as everybody knows, that kind of fell apart and it never really translated into the aspirational uh, shift that people envisioned. Uh, um, and, and another one which I think some of you may remember, which uh, was a complete fiasco, but, but it remains one of the most uh, uh, meaningful examples of, of a writer being tapped into becoming the kind of mediator that Sabato was years before and, and, and bodging the entire enterprise uh, as Vargas Llosa uh, managed uh, to do, not only by repeating many of the prejudices uh, that we had already inherited culturally about indigenous people, but also turning them into literature and reportage. Uh, and then um, uh, uh, one of my most uh, uh, important examples that I'm going to be looking at a little bit more closely later on uh, is the one about uh, uh, Ayacucho Goodbye by Julio Ortega from 1986, um, uh, which is, uh, was motivated, inspired by the killing of an indigenous activist who was also an economist um, uh, and, and who had also been a representative, uh, a member of the Revolutionary Socialist Party, but was by no means a terrorist in any uh, uh, understandable sense. Uh, and so um, the theater group Yuyachkani, uh, of course, uh, was the one intervention that gave this particular literary incursion uh, uh, salience internationally. I, I think without uh, the play kind of emerging out of the story, the, the, the fictional story, uh, 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 that would have never, uh, I think, uh, had the impact that it ended up having. And this is important for us to consider simply because Yuya Chikani as a theater group was included uh, as a very meaningful player in the commission work in Peru. And so they were sent to the towns, to the provincial areas to conduct plays and to uh, engage the community in their own languages narrating over and over and over a story that was fictional but based on um, or inspired by uh, real events. And, 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 and the story of this particular intervention is incredibly, incredibly uh, uh, meaningful in giving authority and legitimacy to the commission and to the commission's uh, report uh, subsequently and also in creating channels of communication uh, between communities that had been ignored historically uh, and culturally and, and they now had the opportunity to feel included in the process of uh, speaking out. Uh, and so here I would like to explore these, these, these uh, texts uh, and, and the emblematic connection between the human as waste and violence in the context of transitional justice and memory retrieval by analyzing these narratives. Julio Ortega's Ayacucho, goodbye. Uh, the story of a Peruvian indigenous farm worker and activist leader, Alfonso Canepa, whose body is tortured, burned, and sectioned by whose partial remains returned from the ditch where they were thrown to travel to the capital city, Lima, to recover the lost parts of his dead body. 
Now, to some of you, that might sound like a, a magical realism. Believe me, it is not. <laughs> um, the second narrative is Horacio Castellano Moya's Senselessness, Insensatez, a novel revisiting government human rights um, abuses in Guatemala against indigenous populations from the perspective of a copy editor hired uh, for pay to make more legible the testimonies and inquiries gathered and to clean up the language in the official report. And just one final reference that I um, uh, failed uh, to mention uh, and was the documentary work of Pamela Yates and Paco Dionis, who is uh, her partner but also her producer. And, 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 and the documentary work that, that is very contemplative, is very, uh, in some ways, um, aestheticized, but at the same time has uh, translated into an incredibly historical register for all kinds of different um, uh, judicial uh, work, uh, uh, to the point that Granito, uh, one of the latest documentaries on uh, Rios Montt, the dictator from Guatemala, has become an instrument uh, that has uh, uh, acquired uh, a very important value in, in finally uh, going beyond the indictment um, of the dictator. Uh, and there's some specific uh, things about that story that we might uh, be able to discuss um, in the Q&A. And so as I argue, these two stories are in some way also about waste and cleansing and, and interpolate society as a whole and truth commission processes in particular by calling attention to the proximity between waste and humanity in the context of embedded structures of discarding and disposability that confront society with the production and the recovery of its own trash. As conjured in these stories, memory retrieval addresses an endemic uh, viciousness that has a long and complex pedigree in Latin America and that transcends defined periods of violence. It also acknowledges forms of subjectivity and memory formation amid indigenous populations that have been long ignored. While reflecting on the challenges airing a country's dirty laundry represents for truth commissions in a time and context when and where humanity's plural worth must also be recognized. These two narratives decentralize human rights universalist and particularist pretensions by expanding subjective and ontological frameworks and advocating in divergent ways for an ethically more inclusive and embodied understanding of social memory. Both stories combine fiction with what we might term the lettered archive, contemporary legal, journalistic, and historiographical material related to ongoing um, uh, processes of memory recovery. Um, uh, both appeal to irony and irreverence, destabilizing the epistemological gravitas uh, that frames so much of human right abuses output. And finally, as hybrid uh, texts um, inspired by documented realities of genocide, both stretch the limits of language and representation by engaging and engaging with various cultural uh, patterns of disruption. And so I would like to uh, focus uh, partially more on the manner in which the stories approach the presence of indigenous people um, in the search for recognition and restitution rather than uh, on the static uh, choices representative of such disruptions. In an attempt to highlight the historical erasure of indigenous subjectivity during periods of transitional justice within which humanity is kind of summoned back into public consciousness, the need to foster um, 
a, a different set of, of affective uh, dispositions becomes paramount. In this reading, what appears as derisive, and by some measure and, and some readings as cynical, can also operate as a mechanism of cognitive dissonance. I would prefer to think of this propensity as a vital dislocation of the limits imposed on the process of seeking justice by the rationality the Truth Commission practices epitomize. And so Ayacucho Goodbye accomplishes this in different ways. First, uh, by starting from the point of fragmentation and the impossibility to be heard, even perceived as complete, under existing social and juridical norms. Canepa, the indigenous guy, begins his story by anticipating the moment of interpolation of the capital, of the polis, as the time of his own restoration becomes kind of a prescient, um, uh, proleptic, uh, to use a term that Mohamed Salah used before, uh, goal. I came to Lima to recover my corpse. That's how I would start my speech when I got to Lima. And during the whole trek, he's writing the letter that he's going to be reading before the president of the country once he reaches the city. Once he's able to get his partial body out of the ditch where, um, and back into his hometown, Quinoa, in, in the province of Ayacucho, the incomplete indigenous leader uh, uh, reaches the police station to confront the sergeant about the charges that he recalls led to his torture and subsequent killing. Well, the sergeant immediately recognizes him and says, without looking at him, don't play the fool, Canepa. You're a dangerous terrorist. The dismissal prompts Canepa to recall the dismembering process and discarding of his body, ending with an analogy that will haunt the rest of the story. That same policeman, before nearing the ditch that will become my grave, filled my belly with dried hay while laughing, as if I were a doll bound only to be discarded. The story then follows the trek of Canepa's partial remains to Lima in a picaresque kind of way. En route, he meets different archetypal characters that span the spectrum of social actors composing Peruvian reality at the time. An anthropologist who follows him almost until the end of the story and whose authority is constantly under scrutiny. Different social actors active in the reality of violence from Sendero Luminoso, Golden Path, insurgents to state soldiers and police and various indigenous and other Peruvian uh, participants and spectators, including the president of the nation. And once in the city, Canepa ends up mixed with beggars and other characters associated with marginalized lumpen underclasses, uh, still unable to be heard as he reaches the country's political elites. And to this point, everyone he meets uh, on the way questions his ability to speak based on his derelict materialization, right? To most of them, he's ghostly, a condemned anomaly that needs to be either hidden or buried permanently. <laughs> um, uh, uh, in other words, given absolute disappearance. Although he manages to interpolate at the end of the story the real president of the nation at the time, Fernando Balaón de Terry, in front of the municipal palace, Canepa receives no response from him, is nearly twice lynched by police forces, but is ultimately saved by another character from that lumpen underclass, Petiso, who is kind of a, a little person, a dwarf, uh, uh, and successful in, in getting his bones back or receiving any type of response, Canepa decide, 
decides with Petizo's help to desecrate the Spanish conquistador Francisco Pizarro's sepulcher in the nearby cathedral. Now, if you've been to Lima, you know that the municipal government palace is here on this side, about 200 yards to the right or left, depending on where you're, you're standing, is the main cathedral where the bones uh, of the uh, colonizer uh, are buried. And so he desecrates, with the help of, of, of the little uh, person, desecrates the tomb, uh, uh, appropriates some of uh, his bones to replace the missing ones, and settles down to rest, declaring himself finally complete. To the many ironies implicit in, the, in this transaction um, uh, and the negation of an indigenous subjectivity as the final solution to reintegration further cement our perception of its systemic downgrading in the Peruvian cultural imagination. A second strategy of disruption becomes manifest in the story uh, by referencing Andean pre-Hispanic structures of memory formation related to folk musical culture. Ayacucho Goodbye actually is evocative of a huayno, famous uh, Peruvian uh, uh, Inca song, Quechua song. Uh, uh, burial practices and social healing, all features that become enhanced in the theater uh, adaptation of the story. Uh, and so all of that indigenous cultural uh, 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 residue sort of comes to the surface uh, even more uh, at, at the time. I think something happened with the microphone. But, uh, let it go. I think you can hear me, right? Um, and um, well, well, <laughs> well, uh, well, at the same time, um, uh, decrying the impossibility of restoration. Um, Uh, under existing cultural and institutional norms, the story still positions indigenous culture as a site of interpolation. Not only does violence render the human body segmented, but also reintegration seems in light of deep-rooted disdain for indigenous life unmanageable. We must note that the resurfacing of evidence in the guise of abandoned bones narrated from the perspective of the aggrieved subject emerges incomplete as well, disfigured that meets a recognition whose totality seems certain before the law, and thus the recognition of the terrorist. The terrorist permits recognizing the subject in its entirety. Um, how long we follow the tragic uh, journey of Canepa impacts our ability to understand and feel the historical debasement of his life. And so finally, addressing a history of centuries of marginalization and disposability demands in Ayacucho goodbye, a place in the process of truth-seeking that seems hard to accommodate within transitional justice strictures. In other words, to find the bones, we need first to be able to identify and to be inclined to read them as both forensic and subjective traces of the humanity of the individual, who is part of a body politic. Sadly, Indigenous bones represent, still in our minds, mostly archaeological signs. Regardless of whether it is through narrative or images, as Susan Sontag reminds us in regarding the pain of others, the question of length is also an important aspect to consider, and it has to do with exposure. Um, length, length of exposure that does not necessarily solve the problem of shift in per perception, uh, at least in her uh, view, because in the end, 
As she concludes, we do not really get it and we cannot really imagine it. Um, just as Ayacucho goodbye starts with the pronouncement of the partial body whose missing remains were dispensed with and disappeared, Castellano Moya's opening in senselessness is concerned with fractured cognition and the psychology of dispossession. I am not complete in the mind, reads the narrator as he sits to examine the hundreds of pages in the commission's report coming across this translated testimony from a Mayan indigenous witness who saw and survived the carnage the Guatemalan soldiers had inflicted upon his entire family. However, our attempt to grasp the selective but persistent testimony and the fictional editor's task of ordering and cleaning up the grammar um, uh, uh, of the various reports is also affected by his cynicism and destabilized by his world uh, weariness and personal masculine crisis. He's always thinking about sex and thinking about having sex with younger girls and so forth and so on. And all of this is always happening concurrently with the contemplation and the engagement of the testimonies. Um, um, however, our attempt, no, uh, I think I read that part. Um, most uh, of his language related to justice, to the institutions that imparted, and to the social actors that activated, appears followed recurrently by the phrase so-called, llamado, disque, in Spanish, rendering his mediation as a corrector, but also as the lettered filter into indigenous subjectivity and memory retrieval, partial and unstable. The whole novel fluctuates between his thoughts about testimonies and reports, his fascination with the patterns of indigenous thought in translation, because he's reading the reports in Spanish having been translated from various Mayan languages. So he never has access to the original indigenous language, he has access to the translations of them. But nonetheless, he's fascinated. The fascination with patterns of indigenous, oh, in indigenous um, uh, thoughts, and, um, and though he finds compelling and also of literary value, and his most, uh, his almost psychosomatic and carnal shifting fixations. Mostly for these reasons, some of the more negative evaluations of Castellano Moya's work have underlined cynicism as an unproductive aesthetics, as a sort of failed mediation because cynicism comes to dominate narrative perspective. As I said earlier, however, we can approach the threshold of irreverence into memory retrieval and trust um, indigenous uh, subjectivity from a different angle, one in which we as readers see ourselves also implicated facing an unexpected dissonance. The narrator wants us and other characters in the novel to recognize an indigenous unsettling alterity while partaking indirectly of its centuries-old trashing. He wants us to be as he himself becomes transfixed by the peculiar language, by its non-Spanish linearity and grammar, cadence, recurring imagery. But at the same time, he's aware of the value these pronouncements have in Truth Commission uh, reports. He withdraws at the end of the novel to an isolated spiritual retreat. He does his labor in, in the uh, Archbishopric uh, building in, in the center of Guatemala City. But, but at the end of the novel, he withdraws to the, to the retreat belonging to the Archbishopric to finish his editorial work. 
Feeling persecuted and increasingly fearful for his life, he flees the retreat and finds refuge in a Swiss city at a cousin's house during carnival time. Uh, there, he is unable to disengage his mind from the testimonies and discovers through an email sent to him by one of his friends in Guatemala that the Monsignor, the leader of the uh, Catholic Church and the uh, Archbishopric at the time, had been assassinated after making public the report whose corrections he helped make. Now, this is based on a real event uh, that took place um, in, in uh, 98, I believe. Uh, of uh, uh, Monsignor Girardi, uh, uh, who was killed uh, two days uh, after he announced that the report uh, would be made uh, public. Um, in her essay, Alien to Modernity, uh, The Rationalization of Discrimination, Jean Franco takes to task uh, Mario Vargas Llosa and layers of the projects of truth uh, and reconciliation commissions because of the persistent discrimination that she sees permeates the discourse about indigenous peoples. In her essay, Franco argues that we tend to concentrate the meaning of ethnic cleansing around the bodily erasure of the person or the community as a sort of methodical annihilation dotted by festering bouts of violence. But what we forget but that we forget that cleansing is a much more complex, deeper historical process that also takes into account cultural erasure as the price that must be paid to cross the threshold of modernity. The recognition that the search for an institution of modernity has relied for centuries on a persistent exclusion and rejection of indigenous populations, among others, inspired stories like this one have examined here. The systematic and often extreme dehumanization at the hands of violent agents and sustained by long-standing prejudice emerges here in absurd and, in, and, and in a tragic kind of humor that gestures back at the system that produced it. In senselessness, the narrator believing, and I quote, that the army had forced half of the population in Guatemala to murder the other half, concludes by crying at the ghost of one of the generals and also amidst a, a public that doesn't understand him, they're all Swiss people, in the middle of carnival, and he cries in the middle of that uh, reality that doesn't really understand him, right? We know who the mur murderers are. And so it is like a vox clamantis in deserto, like a certain person that we know in the Bible uh, with no one uh, to hear it. As Gay Hawkins explains in his book, The Ethics of Waste, waste always gestures back to the economy that produced it, an economy that bespeaks industrial, moral, and psychosocial dimensions of community and self. Jean Franco's critique of the political philosophy partially responsible for upholding the downgrading of indigenous humanity echoes indirectly this view. In her assessment, while the Peruvian Commission went to extraordinary efforts to publicize its findings and confront Peru with its violent past, the society it scrutinized was already undergoing an intense process of change in which discrimination was the undertow. This undertow carried with it an accumulated backdrop of rejected values the Commission identified, but of which it could only scratch the surface. And thank you very much.